Romans 9, 30 through 10, verse 9. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not persecute, that who did not pursue righteousness, attained righteousness. That is a righteousness of faith. But Israel, who pursued a Torah of righteousness, did not reach the Torah. Why? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it, as if it were from works. They stumbled over the stone of stumbling, just as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man who does this, who, d who does these things, shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will go up into heaven, that is, to bring Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is, to br bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? In their mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if we confess with our mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you, Morgan. Perspective. My uh, grandson is an artist, some of you may know. And um, at the beginning of his artwork, um, his, the perspective And his art left something to be desired. Do you know how it is when kids draw things? And uh, in their frame of mind, um, their picture represents reality fully and completely. But, you know, you've got the nose this big and, and the arms this big. And uh, uh, eventually they learn about perspective and how to draw properly. And in lots of ways, we're like that. Uh, we tend to be very self-focused. We understand ourselves and our life and our situation, and everybody else is kind of out there. And we have very little understanding of who they are, what, what they're about. And it's somewhat like that uh, when you come to Scripture and how we view other people, particularly those of us who are Jewish understanding those who are not Jewish. And by the way, the word 
in case you are new to us, the word Gentile is not a pejorative term. It's not negative. It's just, it's just a label. Uh, and folks who are Gentile have really, really a hard time understanding Jewish people. And part of the picture that we're seeing Paul doing is he's seeking to lay out for them God's uh, plan and purpose of what he has in mind both for Jews and Gentiles. And as we saw at the very beginning of um, chapter 9, uh, Paul, the apostle to the Gentile, who loved Gentiles, who were uh, instrumental, uh, was used by God for thousands of non-Jews coming into the kingdom, uh, struggles. And, and, and I don't know about you folks, I like the fact that we see great men and women of God struggling in the word of God. You know? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that reminds us that none of us um, come into the kingdom smoothly and comfortably. None of us grow in our relationship with the Lord without any kind of struggles. And here in chapters 9 to 11, we see Paul struggling. Uh, God, how are you going to work things out? Um, you can understand that a big chunk of it was based on the fact that people... In Rome, primarily Gentiles were looking at the fact that um, Jewish people were not coming to faith in their Messiah uh, in numbers that should be representative of what God was doing. And yeah, as far as we can understand, there were probably hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands. We're not sure how many. Uh, Jews who came into the kingdom of God, uh, who accepted Yeshua in the first century. But still, relatively speaking, it's a very, very, very small uh, minority, as is the case today, by the way. You may know that less than uh, 1% of the Jewish community, both in Israel and here, uh, have embraced Yeshua as their Messiah. So, you struggle with that. You struggle with, God, are you working? What are you doing? Do you have a plan and purpose? What is that supposed to look like? And so Paul has spent uh, a bunch of time earlier uh, addressing the issue of um, the fact that God always is at work. Uh, even when we think he is not working, um, he finds ways to accomplish his plans and purposes. Um, and what we saw particularly is the fact that um, God works through minorities, through a remnant. That was the case with the people of Israel. And it's also, frankly, the case with the Gentile community. And Paul here um, continues with the theme of uh, the fact that God has called many Gentiles into the kingdom. And then he goes on to, in, in these verses to talk about the righteousness that is by faith. Now, this is an expression we hear a lot uh, among fellow believers, righteousness. Uh, and I'm sure if we were to go around and ask people's opinions, 
we would have as many opinions as there are people here um, about what the word righteousness means. Uh, simply put, it's, it is right living as far as God is concerned. A um, couple of different ways that, that the Word of God describes righteousness. One is right living that is based on our efforts legitimately, um, and we'll talk more about that in just a bit. Um, our efforts because we know what God expects and we endeavor to do it. And the other main aspect of righteousness is God looks at us and says, you know, I know who you are. I know your yuck and your sin. Um, I love you, and because of Yeshua, the Messiah, I consider you to be righteous. Uh, theologians call that imputed righteousness. In other words, in a courtroom setting, God looks at you and says, I hereby declare that you're righteous. Um, and so here, Paul is mostly talking about righteousness, the imputed kind. In other words, a kind that comes because we look at God and say, God, I really don't have what it takes to be a righteous man, a righteous woman. And unless you give me what it is that I need, I'm not going to get there. And so he's speaking here about uh, Gentiles that obtained righteousness that is by faith and the people of Israel that did not. And by the way, he's kind of doing one of these global uh, pictures. When he speaks about Gentiles, he is not referring to every single Gentile, obviously. He's referring to Gentiles who have come into the kingdom, who have accepted Yeshua by faith. And when he speaks about Israel, he is not dismissing the entire nation, but those who chose not to accept Yeshua and, also, and those who have endeavored to, to gain righteousness by pleasing God on their own steam, which we all try to do. So just by way of explanation, um, and by the way, uh, perhaps you can understand that, that Paul um, is using language that was shocking because in first century uh, particular in the first century Judaism, when you talk about Gentiles, uh, it, they were not considered to be uh, highly righteous people. They were considered to be pagans. So it was a stretch. So in verse 31 here, uh, Paul speaks about Israel pursuing a law of righteousness, or it's been translated uh, legal righteousness. And I want to park here for a few minutes um, and, and talk about that. What does it mean, legal, what is legal righteousness? Well, if you were to talk to a bunch of folks who come from a uh, background in the church, in the universal body of Messiah, they will instinctive, instinctively say that this is referring to the Torah, the law of Moses, is legal righteousness. Well, I beg to differ. Um, the Torah was never given as a legal code like the Code of Hammurabi uh, or the American Constitution in which uh, you have specific laws and regulations. You do them uh, or you get punished. And yes, some of that was in the Torah, definitely. However, what we, what we often forget is that the Torah was not 
a legal instrument. It was God's design for a spiritual relationship with the people of Israel. Uh, you may know, for example, that there are 56 chapters uh, in the five books of Moses that address worship in one form or another. In other words, how do you worship God? Uh, what kind of offerings do you bring? But it's not just legal. It is based on the fact that God wanted the people of Israel to have a relationship with him. Um, and unfortunately, like a lot of people, we take what God gives and we pervert it. And sometimes it starts out well-meaning, uh, but then by the time we get finished with it, uh, it doesn't look really very godly. Because what typically happens is that we take something that God gives us and we endeavor to make it um, into legalism. And by the way, a basic definition of legalism is how we try to please God um, without any help from him whatsoever. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots of reasons for that. Uh, a major part of the issue is that we often have a great deal of insecurity about who we are as uh, uh, sons and daughters of God. Um, we've talked about that from time to time, that f many people, particularly in our culture, have major issues with their earthly fathers. And so when they come to relating to their heavenly father, they have a very poor understanding of what that is all about, and they feel that in order to uh, be able to receive love from the heavenly father, they have to be able to prove themselves to be perfect sons and daughters of God. Well, I tell you what, folks, I'm praise God, I'm way beyond that. Because God has taken and showed me my sin. And more importantly, he has demonstrated his love to me. And that's the real issue, folks. Um, because if we don't understand the love of the Father, the fact that he has poured out his love tor towards us, just relentlessly and extraordinarily poured out his love towards us, then what will inevitably happen is that we will be insecure. And to one degree or another, folks, this is a, an identity issue. Do you know that you are secure because your Heavenly Father loves you as a son or daughter of His? Um, and so often people, when people consider uh, the Torah people who come from a non-Jewish background, particularly in the church, their assumption is that everything that you see in the Torah is based on legalism. Forgetting the fact that God insisted, not merely that Israel follow certain commandments, but that embedded part of the process in it was the fact that it had to flow out of a love relationship to God. And there are a number of verses in, in the book of Deuteronomy that spell this out, that what Israel was to do had to be based on a love relationship. Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, you must love the Lord your God and do what he requires. And like everything else, you, you have people argue that 
when it says love there, it doesn't really mean love. It means a uh, commitment uh, that, that, that really doesn't have much uh, with emotion. Well, again, I beg to differ because the Hebrew word ahava typically has to do with affection. And God expected the people of Israel, as he expects us, to obey him, but that the obedience has to be something that flows out of a love relationship with him. Um, that is what Paul speaks about when he talks about a righteousness that is by faith. Why faith? Because we come to God and we realize, God, you have really no reason to accept me because of who I am. You accept me because of the atonement of Yeshua, and I receive it by faith. And this is, by the way, something that um, the sons, uh, the, the men and women of God in Scripture were well aware of. The book of Hebrews tells us that all these um, famous people we see in Scripture, such as Joshua, were people who had a basic grasp that the relationship with God had to had to run along the uh, the pathway of faith and relationship with uh, with with God. Uh, when Paul's uh, so relate uh, righteousness by faith uh, based on love relationship, then Paul also speaks about righteousness that is by law. Uh, in other words what we would consider earned righteousness. Uh, again, there's the right and the wrong way to do things because Scripture does speak about practical righteousness. In other words, our relationship with God is based on faith, but there better be some actions that are part of it. Yes? And, and this is what first century Judaism and Judaism today, by the way, emphasized um, is the fact that righteousness has to involve actions. And so, for example, we see Cornelius. Cornelius, the uh, centurion, was considered to be a righteous man. Let me read to you a couple of verses uh, from Acts chapter 10. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Uh, then Cornelius in the same chapter describes what his righteousness looked like. Um, in verse 30 of chapter 10, Cornelius answered, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So as far as God was concerned, Cornelius' righteousness was involved in, in his love for God, in his prayers, but also in his good deeds to the poor. And by the way, this is very much what you see in first century Judaism. Um, the rabbis and, and the, um, the Essenes uh, wrestled with what do you do when the temple is destroyed, there are no sacrifices for sin, and they came up with a basic formula, three-part formula, that that's, uh, speaks about atonement. How do you get atonement from God? Well, you don't have animals, 
you don't have animal sacrifices. So they came up with uh, three parts, repentance, prayers, and righteousness, or in other words, good deed for the poor, which is what we see with Cornelius. He was a righteous man um, as far as the Jewish community was concerned. Um, and by the way, people in the, in the Jewish community often accuse us who are followers of Yeshua of not understanding righteousness because they say, you guys live in your head. What do they mean by that? Well, they say that we talk about a relationship with God that is based on faith. What does faith mean? Faith means believing something, i.e. something that you live, something in your head. We who are Jewish, i.e. traditional Jewish, we believe in action. That to us is what righteousness is about. And so uh, our response is yes and no. Obviously, faith based on who we are and our relationship with God, also based on our, on our actions. Um, and on the other hand, folks in the uh, believing community, in the, inter in the church, often feel like all you need is faith. Well, again, yes and no. Uh, there has to be actions that proceed from that, uh, or else your faith is empty, as James puts it. Um, so Paul is, is not saying that righteousness is something that is only faith-based that has nothing to do with your actions. He's trying to make a point um, that people need to understand that righteousness involves, first of all, our relationship with God by faith because we're secure. And by the way, if you're not secure in your relationship with God, if you're not secure as a son and daughter of God, you will do all kinds of things in order to try and earn God's security. And you will never get there. At some point, you recognize the fact that daddy loves you, period. Just plain old loves you. And you receive it. And you say thank you, and you allow his love to bathe your mind and your emotions. And everything you do is, flows out of that. Paul then goes on to speak in verse 33. I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. Um, and the one who trusts in him will not be humiliated. He comes back to the theme of how is God going to work things out? with the Jewish community where it doesn't seem like people are interested. Well, he comes back to, to Scripture, particularly to Isaiah uh, 28, that God somehow is able to pull a rabbit out of the hat, so to speak. He's able to make things happen when it seems like nothing is possible. And that as we learn to trust in, in God, we learn to be secure because he is a refuge. In other words, he's a place that we run to. And folks, let me tell you something. It's, it's we, we either understand that and live by it or we die by it. 
Uh, in the very beginning, and this is a personal story, the very beginning of our ministry at Yeshua Tzion, um, we were not exactly perfect. Uh, I'm not sure that anyone beginning in ministry or well along in ministry is perfect, but, you know, we made some mistakes. And um, this was specifically regarding our location. Where are we going to be located as a congregation? And people got, people outside of Yeshua Tzion got bent out of shape and uh, sent out letters to national leaders um, saying that we, particularly yours truly, were rebellious, that we're not interested in, uh, in, in peace and fellowship and so on and so forth. And at that point, I was confronted with the basic choice. Am I going to try and convince people of the righteousness of my cause? Or am I, or am I going to say, God, you know me. You're the righteous judge. You know my good parts, not so good parts. Um, you will vindicate what in me is from you and what's not of you. You will show me, and I'm okay with that. And I have to tell you, folks, that really gave me some basic degree of sanity. Because until then, I was going boing, 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 boing. How do I prove to people that I'm really a good guy, that I'm not a rebel? And at some point, I realized, you know, the only security that I have, in fact, the only security you and I have, is the knowledge that we are identified and deeply embedded in a relationship with God because he is a shelter, a sanctuary for us. And that's, that's part of the picture. Paul is saying here, uh, those who understand that find their refuge and their security in the Lord. Um, and then Paul comes back again and again. Don't you love it? You, you know, you, you wish that, that as you read uh, the Word of God, particularly Paul's writings, that he would stay on topic. Um, but Paul writes like a Jew, you know. He kind of goes back and forth. Something triggers his thinking, and he talks about it, and then he comes back. And by the way, every time he makes a point, uh, like the rabbis of the first century and the, by the way, the Essenes uh, had the same perspective. You make a quote from Scripture that validates your point, and then you make the point. Uh, always, that always follows. And so Paul comes back again here to the issue of his heart's desire to see his people come to know Yeshua, which is what chapter 9 began with, and here's, he comes back to it in chapter 10. My heart's desire is for the, for the people of Israel that they may be saved. Um, I can testify that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And by the way, what Paul is saying here about the nation of Israel is the same kind of language that we saw earlier in the Torah portion about Pinchas, Phineas, who was zealous for God. In, in Pinchas's case, God affirmed it uh, in the nation, in the case of the nation of Israel, 
God is saying, yes, you are zealous, but you need knowledge. You need knowledge of the Son of God. Because they did not get that. Uh, they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God, and they sought to establish their own. Uh, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Now, if you know anything about traditional Judaism, you'll understand exactly what it is that Paul is saying. Uh, there was such zeal to honor and obey God that the Pharisees and the rabbis went way, o way overboard. There was a notion of putting fence around the Torah. In other words, here is the Torah, here is the law of Moses, and I don't want to break it, so I'm going to put a bunch of other laws and regulations around it so that I have to break them before I break the Torah. So you start out, for example, uh, with the law of Moses giving very few uh, regulations about the Shabbat, about the Sabbath. Uh, you can't build a fire, you can't go out collecting food, and so on and so forth. At this point, there's somewhere around 1,050 laws and regulations that, are, that um, involve how does one keep the Shabbat. By the way, according to traditional Orthodox Judaism, we here break the Shabbat on a regular basis. Do you know how? Every time we flick the lights on and off, we're breaking the Shabbat. Why? Because uh, turning on the light means we're activating some kind of an electrical motor, which is somewhat, somewhat analogous to building a fire. Well, there's a motor, and the motor does work, and the work is breaking the Shabbat. You get that. You can't get in a car and drive for the same reason. In, in any event, there's zeal there. There's zeal. There's passion for God. But it's a passion for God that's not based on knowing who God is. Knowing who Messiah is. Then we come to my favorite verse. Messiah is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And the way people typically interpret that is to say, um, Yeshua came, he fulfilled the Torah, so we're no longer under the Torah, which means the law of Moses is basically irrelevant for us unless it is repeated specifically in the New Testament. That's a basic problem with that. First of all, the Greek word for end, telos, can also be translated as goal, which is probably the better translation here. And what that means is that Yeshua, that, that the Torah, that the goal of the Torah is to point towards Yeshua. And that's something he said when he was talking to the um, disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, guys, don't you know that the Torah and the prophets speak about who I am and the fact that I, uh, Messiah was to come and die. Did Yeshua live as if the Torah was over? Did the disciples live as if the Torah was over? Absolutely not. Um, Yeshua said, I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. And so here, 
Paul is again speaking about a righteousness that is in the Torah but has to be lived out the right way, has to be lived out by a love relationship with God. And then he quotes from the Torah to prove his case. And he talks about righteousness that is based on faith. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30, he said, um, don't say that, that the word is in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and proclaim it so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, the word is very near. It's in your heart in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. And that's something that, that the Lord said to the people of Israel. He also says that to us because there are often times when we feel that, that God is way, 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 way beyond us and that we have absolutely no clue what it is he wants and that what he wants from us is absolutely impossible and it will never happen. I challenge you to ask yourself or ask somebody else if they know what it is that God wants from them. In all the years of ministry, it is rare to find a person who says, yes, I know what it is God wants from me. There's always the element of insecurity and the sense of whatever it is that God wants from me is beyond me. It's, it's in the heaven somewhere. And the word of God, the, the, the righteousness that is by faith says, uh, no, it is not beyond me. It's something that God wants for me to understand and to live out so that it is practical. Um, and we learn to live that and apply it Because we're secure in our relationship with God. We're secure in knowing who He is. And furthermore, because we love Him, we love His commandments. As Yeshua said, and as we recite each week, you love me, you keep my commandments. Let's pray. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your unbelievable amount of patience and grace towards us, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us. You understand our weaknesses and our sin, our yuck. And yet, Lord, uh, you love us. You, Father God, you have poured out your love upon us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. Lord, we want to reciprocate. We want to respond to you and love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. I pray for each one of us, Lord God, that our desire will be based on faith, but faith, Lord God, that is not 
detached from the truth of your Torah, your instruction. Lord God, I, we pray for the ability to embrace the righteousness by faith. Live it out, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.